doctrines that are out there. But today I want to look at a message I've called just simply God's goodness leads to repentance. God's goodness leads to repentance. And we're going to see in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, I'll read this. It says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you, just guide me in this message. I pray that I be able to get across the concept that you've laid upon my heart. I pray to be able to communicate that so people could understand. And I pray your Holy Spirit just would have free course to, uh, in each heart here to meet the need of whatever that means for them. I do pray, Lord, you would help us today. We are, we're a needy people. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the topic is of repentance. This isn't something that is obscure to the Christian church today. I've heard all kinds of people talk about repentance. There are definitely some false doctrines out there in relation to repentance on either side. There's extreme this or extreme that. And I think we just got to always go to the Bible and let the Bible just tell us what it says. Amen? And then we'll always be okay. Everything will be balanced, you know? Uh, there's a movement that today that says that repentance cannot be brought up in relation to your salvation. That means if a person gets saved, you can't talk about repentance because they relate repentance to works. They say as soon as you tell someone to repent, that means you're telling them to work for their salvation. Now, that movement is called free grace. Now, you've got to be careful. Free grace sounds good. I like grace that it's free, <laughs> amen. But the thing is, just because it has a nice name doesn't mean it's, it's uh, representing a nice doctrine. And uh, we've got to be very careful. That's why you've got to be careful of the internet. Uh, the other day, my boys were telling me, Dad, I found this guy. He seems like a real good guy. And then, and then we started looking at it. He was a free grace guy. And not only, he wasn't necessarily a, a teacher as such, but he was a... Um, Someone had just been converted, and he was taking their doctrines, and he was just basically just parroting it online, not really knowing what he was saying, but just knowing how easy it is for people to get drawn aside after these foolish doctrines uh, in relation to repentance. Now, we know repentance has a lot to do with salvation. Uh, the word repentance itself just simply means a change of mind. God repented. He didn't need to get anything right. <laughs> Amen. But the Bible says that he repented. That means he changed his mind about some things. Now, for sure, if you change your mind about some things, things will change. And so there will always be a result of that change of mind, which will have an impact on your actions. But it's not the act of the actions that, uh, that is repentance. It's actually the change of mind that is the repentance. Uh, you know whether your repentance is true but as to whether you've actually did change your mind, and we judge that by what you do. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? But the thing is, you start listening to some of these guys, they bring you on this circular argument, and you know what? All it does is distract you for the next year about what really is important. And there's a lot of that garbage out there. Flat earth is another one. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You want to believe in flat earth, you just go ahead and do that, but just don't bring it into this church. I'm not interested in that. 
Because I'll tell you what it does. And this is what I heard even this last week. There was a good man that I knew of that began to give himself to and his family to flat earth doctrine. And right away they started saying how the preachers are wrong. See, it's an attack of Satan to undermine the, the, the leadership in the local New Testament church. It all has to do with you moving forward for God. And I'll tell you, while the earth is flat or round or we're square or triangle, it really has no impact as long as you're willing to go forward for God. And whether NASA is lying to us or Trudeau or whoever, it really doesn't matter. We still need to go by the word of God and let's go forward. But if you give yourself to these conspiracy ideas, you're going to mess up your life from going forward for God. That's the biggest problem. (laughs) Not even the fact that the earth is round or circle or square. (laughs) You understand? The devil's always trying to trip up the people of God, trying to keep them from focusing on what they need to focus on. I'll tell you what, whether the earth is round or flat, it has nothing to do whether you're right with God or not. And that's what the devil wants to do, distract you. And so I told they, they, one of these kids started sending my kids information on flat earth. I just says, you send that back and say, leave me alone. Because I just think it's a satanic tactic. And by the way, the same arguments they use on you, they got to use on themselves. Folks, if you've never been out there, unless you have had an eyewitness somehow, it's never going to be good enough. So let's just stop talking about it. Amen? None of the evidence works. There's no evidence. So just forget about it. (laughs) You get what I'm saying here? (laughs) My goodness. The The straw man arguments that are set up to distract the people of God are foolish. And that's what the Bible talks about, striving of of words and questions and doting and and so forth. All these things that you never find an answer for. Yet I'll tell you what it's doing. It's keeping you from walking with God. You understand that? So stop it. Go into your closet, hang up your little globe, whatever, your little flat thing and look at it and say, nice. But that has nothing to do with what this church is happening, what's going on here. You understand that? So, I ho- ho- sorry if I offended you if you're a flat earther. <laughs> I'm not. I believe it's a globe. Amen. <laughs> That's my position doctrinally. <laughs> Anyways, this fact of repentance, uh, one of the arguments of these, this group is the fact that they say repentance is only for Israel, not for the people of God. Well, this passage that I'm showing you right now is evidence that that is not true. Even the words that he uses here, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, that judges. So he's talking to everybody. The book is written to Romans, to the Gentile church. He's not writing to the Jews. Even though later on he starts talking about the Jews. But in this particular passage, he's not relating to the Jews. He's talking to mankind in general. And he's talking about how the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So repentance is a part of the process of you being saved, all right? I know I'm going to get all kinds of emails and comments online. That's why I turn off all that stuff online. YouTube, try to comment. It doesn't work, (laughs) amen, (laughs) because I really don't care what you say. Anyways, and so uh, Romans 2, 4, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance of longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So he's saying that this guy here, this self-righteous individual, this person that looked down on others and would judge others and thinking that he himself will escape the judgment of God, you're, what he's saying, what you're doing is 
you're despising the goodness of God. See, because when you become self-righteous and you start thinking that other people deserve judgment and you don't, what you put into question is why isn't God judging them? Why isn't God dealing with them? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why doesn't God just judge that person already? Well, that's the danger that we're talking about here. It's a self-righteousness. Every time we look at someone else and think they're worthy of judgment, we got to remember that you yourself are also worthy of that judgment. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't just judge you <laughs> the way that you want others judged? We have to keep ourselves grounded here in the truth. This isn't about judgment. Judgment will come, and the Bible says there will be a day of wrath. And I don't even want to even think about that a whole lot right now. I, I'm looking at these people in this world, as wicked as they may be, they need to be saved, man. They don't need judgment. They need salvation. That's where our hearts need to be for all these people. Amen? But as soon as all we want to do is see people experience the wrath of God, <laughs> there is something wrong with our perspective. You're despising the goodness of God. You're thinking little of or to hold in contempt or to think lightly of the goodness of our God, if that's the kind of attitude that you have. Exodus 34, verse 6, we have the account of Moses, how he asked the Lord, he says, Show me thy glory. He wanted to know God more and he wanted to understand who God was. So he says, show me who you are. And God says, I'll show you, but I'm going to show you just a little bit of the hindermost parts of who I am. And in order for that to happen, I'm going to stick you in this rock. And I'm going to have my hand in front of you and just going to give you a peek just at the right time. You say, what? Why don't you just let me see you, God? Because you would die, Moses you would die. And so sure enough, he puts him in the cleft of that rock and he, he uh, walks by and just at the right time, he just gives Moses a little glimpse of the hindermost parts of the glory of God, the least of the glory of God. And the Bible says here in Exodus 34, 6, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. What's glory anyways? To us, glory is what a man owns and the kind of car they have and the house that they live in and how they look and the clothes they wear. Oh, that's the glory. Well, that's a, that is an example of what glory means. But the glory of God, he's not trying to impress you with what he owns because he just simply owns everything. But the greater part of God is the essence of his, who he is as a person. He says, let me give you a little glimpse of my glory, mercy, long-suffering, goodness and truth. Boy, can you imagine looking at God and that's what you saw. The Bible says, because of that, Moses' face began to glow like the sun. And he knew he was going to freak the people of God out when he went down there. He put a veil over his head. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It talks about that glory of the law. But then it talks about how we have a greater glory available to us right now as God's people. He says, if, if that kind of glory can make the face of Moses shine, 
What do you think is going to happen when the God of heaven comes inside of you and changes you into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ? You bear that glory too. And that's why it's a, it's a terrible thing for us to get this mentality of just wanting to see people judged and wrath on their life. When the greatest parts of God's glory are the aspect of his mercy and love and truth and goodness and the, his desire, his long suffering, because he wants to see people saved. Amen. This wording that he uses here, he's talking about the riches, despisest thou the riches of the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. So out of the goodness of God come riches. So God is blessing us through his goodness, and even the lost man is getting blessed by the goodness of God. And there's some things that he's mentioning here that each lost man gets blessed by God. They get a little taste of the riches of God's goodness, even though they don't even understand it. And we sure should understand it. And I'm going to bring this across, and I hope this touches your heart. The riches means the rich gifts and blessings imparted by God or Christ. So God's goodness is God giving you what we need instead of leaving us what we de- to what we deserve. He says, I'm giving you something here. You don't deserve this. But it's simply because I'm good. The riches. The word goodness just simply means to furnish what is needed. When you're good to somebody, what you're doing is you're, you're being to them what they need you to be. Not what they want you to be, but what they need you to be. That's goodness. So basically he says, I'm giving you the riches that will furnish you with what you need. And he's talking to the lost world. So someone that's standing from the side saying, God, look how wicked they are. Judge them. He's saying, you're despising the riches of the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Every last one of us have tasted this. Every last one of us have, can associate with what's being said. But now he's telling you as the church, he's saying, let me remind you what you've gone through, what I've done for you, so that you can apply that to what you see out in this world. Amen? The goodness. God's goodness leads mankind to change his mind, is what it's saying here. Leadeth, it means to lead along or to carry and repentance means a change of your mind. All right? So the first point I want to bring across here is the things that God's goodness provides for us. God's goodness provides repentance. Do you understand that it's because of his goodness that you can repent? He didn't have to let you repent. He didn't have to give you the opportunity to repent. You, you don't deserve the opportunity to repent. He could have left you in your sin. He could have left you on your way to hell. But because of his goodness, he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to repent. Oh, that's so important for us to understand. We take it like we're privileged. Oh, I deserve this. You don't deserve it. We don't even deserve the opportunity to be saved. Yet he gave it to us. That's God's goodness. Think about that next time we want to look down our noses at somebody. 
You didn't deserve to be saved. <laughs> you don't even deserve the opportunity to be saved. Wow. We just need to thank the Lord that he gives us the potential to get right with him. You ever met somebody that never let you get right with them? That's an act of unrighteousness called implacable. It means they're never willing to, no matter what you do or say, no matter how you say sorry, no matter how much money you give them, no matter what you would do, they would always hold it against you. That's an act of unrighteousness. God says, I'm righteous. He's not going to hold it against you. He's looking for a way to let it go. We know that there is a time for the wicked that God does withdraw the opportunity. And we saw that in Romans chapter 1. It says that he gives them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Amen? So in other words, there's a time where God does withdraw the welcome mat and you just become at that point a pawn for him to use to glorify himself through you, but you get no benefit from it. It's a sad thing. Pharaoh was one of those people in Egypt because he hardened his heart. He would not repent. See, the only person that God will give over to reprobate mind is someone that hardens their heart against repentance. You see, In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. So he's telling us as as believers that we must never argue with people or have contention in our our conversations with the worst of of the lost people. Those atheists that just want to fight with you. The Bible says, don't strive with them. But it does say, be gentle unto all men apt to teach that means prepared to teach them if they would listen then it says patient patient i don't know about you especially in bible college doesn't happen so much anymore but in bible college when i'd go out soul winning or something and people would argue about things my heart would go and i just just, just a young believer, you know, just all zealous but no brain, you know. You understand? I understand that kind of thing. It got me in trouble sometimes. Because I couldn't just, I couldn't understand this. In fact, it was this passage that I had printed and put on my wall in my office going through Bible college. Because I knew I needed it so bad because I just hated it when people didn't love God and I hated it when they argued against the truth and I was just, but you know, as I've grown older, I've understood that that doesn't help anything. That there's something far beyond me in this. In fact, in this passage, there's several people involved. I'm involved as a witness. They're involved as the one that's in bondage. The devil's involved because he's got him captive, held at his will, and God's involved. Four. God's saying, what are you doing? (laughs) It's like the whole thing's hanging on you here, son. That's why he's saying patient. Patient. Uh, You know, that's why sometimes when you're talking to someone about Christ and you want them to be saved and, oh, pray this prayer. Well, I don't know if I want to. Well, just pray it anyway. No. (laughs) That is foolish. 
People don't get saved by praying prayers. They get saved by trusting in their heart as to who Jesus is and what he did for them, amen, on the cross of Calvary. You can pray till the cows come home. It's not going to save anybody. I asked, would you like to pray? Oh, I pray all the time. I've got people telling me that all the time. They do pray. They probably pray more than you. But they're lost. Because that prayer isn't going to save them. It's going to be a prayer from a heart that trusts. Talks about with a heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then it goes on to say after that, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's after it tells you about the trusting in the heart. Amen. Patient. So this isn't a notch on your, on your belt. These are souls. It says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. So you're not only just dealing with your limitations, but you're dealing with theirs. They're not opposing you, they're opposing themselves. So anybody you talk to that's bucking God, it's saying, I'm an atheist, I don't believe God, or, oh, that's your opinion, or whatever, all those things, it's not about you. (laughs) They're opposing the greatest things that they could possibly have in life. Because they're rejecting God. Your heart should break over it. But you surely shouldn't strive over it. And get, get mad over it. And fight over it. <laughs> Folks, we're about winning people, not arguments. Well, this is the truth. I'm going to show you what the truth is. <laughs> Sometimes people say some pretty stupid things to me. Even in church. And I just smile. <laughs> God bless you, brother. Thank you for being here. We don't got to fix everything today. You keep coming, you'll get fixed. (laughs) Amen. If you keep your heart soft, you'll know whether your heart's still soft. That that critical stuff comes out of your mouth. Then you know the hardening is beginning. He's asking something I'm not willing to give. Lesson four. You understand? Goes on to say, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So God's just saying, okay, you can get all worked up there, preacher. But you understand that they're not going anywhere unless I give them that permission. You were permitted to be saved. It wasn't your right. (laughs) Once you wrote in the book, it became your right. But do you understand that? It's not something that you somehow deserve by privilege. It's something that God did because he loves you. So God grants repentance. So that person may not be ready. Why is that? What's the the issue here? The issue is the heart. So God's saying, that heart's not willing to see. And he, he tells us over and over, he says, don't cast your pearls before the swine. That means just what you say isn't going to make a difference because their heart, the hardness of their heart. And there's sometimes you just got to back off and let God do his work. He has to prepare them for that repentance. He has to break them. Amen. And you can't do that as smart as you think you are. That's not your job. Amen. Great illustration. Nineveh. This so fits 
this passage. This is the, this is the Old Testament example for Romans chapter 2, 3 to 5. Jonah 1 verse 2 says this to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now we're not going to go through the whole Jonah and the fish thing here. We're going to skip all of that. And we're going to go to the time where Jonah gets out of the fish and he goes to the city. And he does exactly what Jonah 1 verse 2 said for him to do. But notice we're going to Jonah 3 verse 4 because there's a couple of chapters there where Jonah's messing with God. But finally he does. Jonah 3, he goes. And it says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, just like God said, You go in there and cry. And said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Judgment. Judgment in forty days. Not judgment now. Not judgment tomorrow. Not even judgment in a week. But he says judgment in forty days. Now we know the word 40 in the Bible is a, is a number of testing. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he was up there for 40 days. Who was being tested? The people. They didn't pass. Because the time he got back, they already had an idol they were worshiping and running around naked. 40 days. Crazy. <laughs> That's how bad we are. <laughs> Amen. So he says to Nineveh, 40 days. So, what happened? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him, his, his royal robe. He took it off and put it aside. Wow. This is no hard-hearted, proud king anymore. This is the man that understands God is coming for me. And I can't beat him. And it goes on to say, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This was the physical demonstration of humility. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, be clothed with humility. So in a New Testament way, he's saying, put on sackcloth and ashes. Every time you humble yourself before God, it's like putting on sackcloth and ashes before God. Putting off your kingly robe. Putting off your control. What you want to do and your desires and just put on a potato sack. Because this is all unworthy of God. Ashes because I deserve to be burnt. Humble. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He even got his sheep fasting. <laughs> you ever done that? Sorry, puppy, you're not eating today. Maybe we should try that with Pippi. <laughs> Amen. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Even the beast, they put sackcloth on them. And cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. 
Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Wow. This is powerful. God gave these people the opportunity to turn from their evil ways to God and his mercy. Did they deserve it? No. You know who Jonah is in this picture? Romans chapter 12, or 2, verse number 3. Who art thou, O man, that judges? Aren't you guilty too, Jonah? See, he wanted them to be destroyed. He wanted them to be judged. He didn't want them to be saved. They had, they had tortured and killed family members of his, people that he loved. These people were ruthless. They were violent. God says, surely you're not going to save them. Or Jonah says. God just says, you just watch. Amen? That's the perfect example of Romans chapter 2. The second thing, God's goodness sends a messenger for repentance. That's one of the riches. God sent you somebody to tell you. Isn't that something? What would have happened if Nineveh would never had had Jonah walk into that city? What would have happened? You know what they needed? They needed someone to tell them. That's all they need, someone to tell them. That's all Jonah did was open his mouth and say it and walk away. The messenger. The blessing of understanding. See, you need to understand what's going on here. So the Lord loves you so much, out of his goodness, he says, I want you to understand where you are. Today, maybe you walked in here and you said, you know, I'm, I'm okay, but maybe the Lord wants you to truly understand where you are so that you truly can be saved. That's a blessing. Don't despise it. That's, that's what issues forth from the goodness of God that leads you to repentance is the fact that he gives you an opportunity, but he also gives you a messenger. Now, Jonah was no catch, just like I'm not. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. We got a message. We got a message for the people, and you know it when you sit in that chair. Oh, you could go to all kinds of lectures, all kinds of subjects. Oh, some of you folks, you've let your heart grow hard. I can sense it preaching sometimes. I can feel it. There's a resistance from the Word of God. I can just feel that, that it's not being taken in. Don't do that. Do you understand it's God's goodness that you're sitting there today? That you have someone taking the Word of God and showing you this. Folks, there are so many people all over the world that don't have that. Don't despise it. Don't think little of it. God has blessed, not because of me, folks. It could be a thousand, a million other people up here. This book, oh, I believe every word of this book. Every word. And you know what? I have dedicated myself. I'm going to preach every word, even the things that are hard to preach. Because that's God's goodness. You think it's easy to go to somebody and say, in 40 days, you're all going to be destroyed. Oh, that's just mean. The world today is, oh, Jonah, you're just mean. We're canceling you because you're not tolerant. That would be their answer, but they don't understand. It was the goodness of God 
that was leading them to repentance. It was going to save their souls. It was going to save their city. It was going to save their families. It was going to save their children. Folks, have you forgotten? The reason why we're here is that your families can be saved. It's not about you just sitting there. Do you understand what it means to be in a local New Testament church? You want to know how churches are built? When someone comes in, and all of a sudden three weeks later, their brother comes in. A couple of weeks later, their cousin comes in. Oh, when you let your heart become hard, you've stopped letting God use you like that. You'll never bring anybody in. You're despising it. Despising the goodness of God. You ought to be here understanding that God wants you to bring people to the message. That's what it's about. Oh, but that old devil, he is just working in your heart. He is trying to shut you down. And you're despising it. The goodness. Oh, that preacher, he's not so great. I'll be the first one to say amen, amen, and amen. If that's all you got to go on, bad argument. (laughs) Have I been preaching truth? I've never had someone from this church yet come to me and say, preacher, you're talking error there. Not one person. Then you ought to thank God that the word of God is being preached to you this morning. Not thank me, thank God. I am what I am by the grace of God, just like you are what you are. But you know what? He's been so gracious in giving giving us his word. And folks, I believe it's perfect. You may not, but I do. There's nothing you can say to change my mind. See, I've got a faith-based position, not an intellectual-based your intellect is, is corrupt. I just simply take what he says. That's how he says you're supposed to live. Just don't worry about what other people say. Let God be true and every man a liar. So if you tell me something opposite to this book, I'm just going to look at you and in my heart, maybe I won't tell you this, but in my heart I'm going to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. That's what I'm going to say in my heart to you. And I'm not going to be messed up by that. I'm just going to go back to this book and say, I'm sure glad I have it. Amen. Amen. The blessing of understanding. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Jonah went. Jonah went. You know, God sends his spirit to work through the church. This isn't just about you now. See, there's more involved than just you. God actually planned for His Spirit to do the work in the lost through you. That's been the whole thing here. Now, the thing is, we got to let that happen. And that's why the devil's fighting you so much, because he doesn't want you to be out of your belly flows you know, living water. He doesn't want that. So he's, he's, he's building dams in your heart. That's what the devil does. He blocks it off so you cannot be used by the Holy Spirit of God to tell people what they need to know about salvation. And that's why you're struggling with telling people about Christ. Some of those obstacles are fear. Some of those obstacles are sin. Maybe you're bitter. 
maybe and hang around the wrong crowd. <laughs> Can I tell you what crowd you should hang around with? Look next to you. The crowd that's here today. Come here tonight. I'll even give you a better crowd to be around. Better yet, I'll bring you in on a Wednesday night. Then I'll show you the real crowd that is faithfully. I'm tired. I know they come here sometimes and you can tell. They, I've had people come in with their work clothes on. Pastor, I hope you don't mind. I'm just on my way back from work and I didn't have time to go home and change and come back. So I decided to come to church. I said, you're going to apologize for that? You're going to apologize for being faithful? Sit down. <laughs> Do you understand that? God knows that. Oh, I'll tell you something. You've got the right crowd. You have got the right crowd. Spend it with them. Get rid of the critics out of your life. You know the devil sends you critics to keep you from following God. Every one of them. You got people that they're just cutting people up. Maybe that church. I don't go to church. I'll just say I'm praying for you. Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? I don't go to church. Well, then we'll see you sometime. They're never going to come until you start taking a stand for something. You understand that? Don't hang around the naysayers. God sends his spirit to work through the church. We know the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit of God is to empower the church to witness. And the Bible says that in Acts 1.8, it says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So he wants to come and give us power to be witnesses, and you can't be a witness without the Holy Spirit power. That's all there's to it. But you know what? There's also another purpose. God's Spirit is here to reprove the world. And we see that in John 16. Jesus actually said this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And he says, that is advantageous for you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Those are the three things that he's going to do to this world. Through you. The first one is sin. He says, because they believe not on me. He says, you got to tell them about sin. Because they haven't believed on me. So that means that their sin is going to take them to hell. He's saying, I'm not telling you to reprove them if, they've, if they believed on me. But the Holy Spirit will reprove them if they have not believed on him, because that sin is going to bring death. So that's our message. The Holy Spirit through you is supposed to tell people that sin brings death. And I need to tell you about this because you have not believed on Christ. And the Holy Spirit came to you because you have not believed on Christ yet. See, that's what blasphemy of the Spirit is. It's when someone is approached by the Spirit of God about sin because they've not believed on Him and they say, I don't want to believe on Him. You know, that's the only unforgivable sin. That means if you die with that sin, you go to hell forever. 
But if in that moment, when the Holy Spirit comes to you through the witness of the church or the witness of whoever, and they tell you, you're in your sins, and if you die in your sins, you'll have to pay this eternal consequence. But Jesus Christ came to take away your sin. Will you receive him? For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And in their heart, they know that there's that spot in them. This is, yeah, this is truth. This is truth. And by the way, you'll know that. No man comes to the Father except he draw him. See, that's the acknowledging, the giving of repentance, the drawing of it. Amen? If they receive Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit has done his job. Then that Holy Spirit goes into that heart. It says, uh, I want to use you now to go tell your friend about this sin issue. Amen? So the Holy Spirit uses you to preach against sin. The second thing, the Holy Spirit uses you, it says, of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So what's all that about? Well, he says, it's expedient for me that I send the Holy Spirit because, because of sin, because they don't believe on me, and also because of righteousness, because the only example they've ever had of righteousness is going away. I'm going to heaven. So now you, church, must become the light of the world. And you now become the example of righteousness to the world. That is what we're supposed to do. See, that's the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads them to repentance. So it's, see, I can't tell you how many people I've gone to and talked about salvation. They said, oh yeah, I knew a Christian, they did this to me, I'll never get saved. And they tell me, and it could be true, this Christian did do wrong, hurt their feelings, and now they've chosen to go to hell because of it. It's a pretty foolish decision. But Christian, you need to understand, your actions have a great impact. Great impact. It's so powerful, he says, you can't do this without the Holy Spirit of God. It's advantageous that I send them to you. And I need to have him work through you so that they could see who I am. And that's why you're supposed to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so they can see true righteousness on earth. So all these fuddy-duddy things that everybody's telling you, oh, what's a big deal? I'm saved. You know, grace, grace, grace. Everybody, <laughs> folks. This world needs Christians to behave righteously and holy. You ought not be doing wicked things. You ought not be smoking cigarettes. You ought not be vaping. You ought not be living in immorality. You ought not be touching uh, pornography. You ought not be cursing. You ought not be telling bad jokes on the job. You ought not even be laughing at those jokes. The Bible says, Let not fornication be once named among you as become a saint's. That's a pretty tall order there. But that's why God says it's advantageous that I send the Spirit of God because you're not going to live that life without Him. 
Read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Powerful. And then go to chapter 4. Amen. I'll tell you, you can spend uh, the next year just dissecting those two chapters. Of sin, of righteousness, then of judgment. Judgment. Because the devil has been defeated. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So in other words, people have got this idea that sin and ungodliness are just, yeah, whatever. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Do you understand that the one that kicked this thing all off, that Jesus Christ's foot is on his neck today and that he is judged? I, you know, you heard recently they had a satanic conference. It was getting a lot of uh, traction lately, this whole Satanism. And uh, folks, you understand that in the final days, in the tribulation, it's going to be basically the world religion will be Satan worship. Where she was tearing up the Bible as a statement. You know, people think that's a great thing. <laughs> you know what they need? They need someone to walk in the middle of them and say, can I tell you about your boss? He's judged. And the Bible tells me in Matthew 25, verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That means that hell was not made for you. It was not tailor-made for people. It was tailor-made for the devil and his angels. They are judged. But you go to all these people and say, you don't have to have that. You don't need to go to that judgment. You can be saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Those three things. Powerful stuff. So people say, oh, those Christians, despisest thou the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. You're going to give the preacher a hard time for preaching too long, preaching too hard. How many of you have preached messages like this? How many of you have told somebody what I just told you? Don't be criticizing me until you can do it. Do it. Do it. Preach the gospel to every creature. It's your responsibility. And we need to take that seriously. Amen. God uses people to bring the message of the gospel to men. See, Jonah. Jonah, wow. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Where'd he go? Opposite of Nineveh. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Right away, sir. <laughs> he went that way. That's exactly what he did. He caught a ship. I'm going to go there, I'm going to hit that ship. Once I'm across the water, I mean, God's going to even know where I am. I'm going to go hide in the bottom of the boat there. He'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. 
Oh, I can't tell you how many preachers' testimonies I've heard of that were they were running from God. So one preacher said he, he took off across, across the United States and hitchhiked. He got picked up, and as he was driving along, he saw these billboards. It was repent. <laughs> He's just like, no matter where I went, God was there. He just kept looking at me. He said, you need to get back there. Oh, Jonah, too, he was miserable. In fact, he was so miserable that when the storm came and the ship started to rock and they knew it was all lost, he said, hey, guys, let me tell you what the problem is. If you just throw me overboard, the things will be okay. <laughs> Are you going to say something like that? It's, my, it's me. It's me because I'm running from God. Man, I sure give him credence for that honesty. <laughs> Sure enough, they said, well, we don't want to do that. I mean, if we do that, maybe God will judge us for throwing you overboard. But ultimately, they had no choice. They were put into the corner. Okay, guys. One, <laughs> two, three. <boing. laughs> right into the fish's mouth. And the Bible tells us that God prepared a fish. He knew it was going to happen. He knew how to bring him back. Why did he do that? Why did he, why did he spend so much time... Because he needed someone to bring the message. That's why. I'm going to tell you something. Young people, young men, <laughs> preaching the word of God is not your choice. You can choose to be obedient to it, but whether you're supposed to do it is not your choice. He will reach down from heaven and he'll say, you. Now, you can, you can just... Turn your back on it. You can say, oh, I don't want to do that. But guess what? He's still looking at you. I have a family member that said he was called to preach when he was young. Never surrendered. And he died uh, older. He had a fairly full life. He went to about 80, but in his 70s, his wife kicked him out. Because he was just so miserable. She just said, you know, I, I'm old, you're old. I'm not living the rest of my life like this. She says, you're gone. She wanted to have at least 10 years of her life where she could have peace. Now, what do I say about that? Well, I'm not going there today. <laughs> but all I know is that is the cost. He died alone away from his family. And you know, he said, God called me to preach. And I said, no. He's got his hand on you to preach. You're, you should preach. <laughs> but you don't understand. Hey, I had it all figured out too. My dad had a successful business. I had vehicles. At a gas expense account, I didn't have to pay for a cent of my gas. Paycheck, regularly, shares, future, all there. My brother was the same thing. My brother, he gave his testimony at the Preacher's Fellowship this week. 30 years he spent with my dad's company. 30 years he knew that, that company inside and out, and he was the man to take it over. At 49 years old, the Lord touches his heart, says, I want you to preach. He goes to Bible college. I think he graduated at 49. Plants his first church. 49, 50 years old. Just like me when I was 
in this church. He had everything laid out. Some of you guys that are giving up your family for your dollar, I feel sorry for you. You'll never know what it's like to follow God. Goodness, the goodness of God. To be able to have a family with your children and know that you're in the will of God. This is where we need to be. To look at your children and say, kids, we've got a purpose here. That's why I have to be careful. Not this pie-in-the-eye, sky idea about, uh, well, we're just going to go make money. and <laughs> That's not purpose. It's not purpose. The Bible tells us that your life consisteth not of the abundance of the things that you possess. Not one thing you own is the identity of your life. Then what is? Then what is? You following God, your faithfulness, your time in the scriptures, the time where you can sit down your sons and your daughters and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and tell them how to behave and deal with their problems and deal with their sins and bring them into line with the Lord Jesus Christ because you know that God's got a purpose for them. And don't feed this monster of money. And, and, and uh, folks, it's all going to burn. I appreciated work for my dad. I love the work. I really did. I would have never left it. I enjoyed it, even to this day. You put me on an excavator. I love it. <laughs> I really enjoy it. But I will never give up this for that. For no amount of money. I just really encourage you folks, if that dollar to you is so important that you will not even be faithful to the Lord, how is the Holy Spirit ever going to use you? He needs a messenger. The reason why people are messengers is they've got their lives so full of this world. They've got no message to give. And if they give the message, they've got no life to back it up. No faithfulness. No sacrifice. I talk to people all the time, you know, well, I'll serve God, but if we can do it here and there, I, say, <laughs> I tell them, if serving God has to be convenient for you, then you haven't started serving God yet. Serving God starts when it's inconvenient. When it costs you. Then you know you've begun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that is... The, the character of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for us. And our service has to mimic that perfectly. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I got a couple more points, but I think the Lord has given us enough for today. The goodness of God leadeth to repentance, change people's minds, but they need the opportunity. They need the message.
that need the message. Maybe you're here today, and today is your opportunity. Today is a day that the Lord has opened the door to you and said, would you come? Will you receive me as your Savior? This has nothing to do with being a Baptist. It has nothing to do with this church, identifying with this church. This is the God of heaven reaching down to you, saying, will you receive my son? Because there's sin And if my son doesn't deal with your sin, then you'll have to die in your sin. And if you die in your sin, you have to go to the lake of fire. And I don't want that for you because I'm good. And I'm leading you this morning. I'm leading you to repentance through the message.